right, so if you're new here today, we are um, wrapping up our series in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is ancient Hebrew wisdom literature, um, and we've been walking through that all summer. And so this week, I'm going to preach uh, on what do the Proverbs have to say about discipline in parenting? Surprisingly, it says a lot. Um, and then next week, Scott's going to talk about, uh, I think, Proverbs and some type of leadership. And then we'll be doing a three-week vision series like we do every year. So if you're new to the church, we really encourage you to come here. What are we all about as a church? What do we center around? And then after that, we're going to be in First Peter for most of this school year until Easter, okay? But today, we are in Proverbs. And what do the Proverbs have to say about discipline in parenting, all right? You might be surprised to know it's a frequent topic, and its frequency oftentimes connects to its importance, okay? So if this is something that's very frequent in the Proverbs, and it is, um, it may have something to do with how important it is in God's mind. This is God's Word. And so um, before I kick this off, though, and we look at God's Word, I want to just simply say a couple disclaimers. Um, I'm not going to be able to say everything, obviously, and we never can in any one sermon or even one sermon series, but I want to recommend a couple books, especially for young families that are kind of in the, in the heat of, of parenting right now. Um, there's a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp that we'd really recommend. You might want to write these down, just buy them quick on Amazon. Um, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, and then the other one that we really like is um, Don't Make Me Count to Three by Ginger Plowman, Okay. And it's a great one. Uh, they're, they're both very similar, but um, recommend those, okay? I handed those out in the first service as kind of a gift, but uh, since you guys slept in, you don't get any gifts today. So, no, I just forgot. I was like, what? How, how do I forget that we have two services? So I only brought books for the first service. Um, that's kind of lame. Sorry. So uh, those, those who don't have kids, uh, why listen? Or those of you who have grown kids, why listen? Well, let me, uh, uh, let me speak to the first group. Um, those who don't have kids, well, you might someday. Most likely, you probably will. So I encourage you to, to dial in, take some notes uh, for the future. And those of you who have, um, have grown kids that maybe aren't even in the home anymore, maybe it's time for just a refresher. And then look around you. This room is pretty full today, and probably our average age in here is 28. Okay? So older folks, the Bible says the older should teach the younger. It's very clear. And so, man, get a refresher. Think about how, who can I come alongside and help, okay? Um, this is why we want our city groups to be intergenerational so that olders can teach the younger. Now, we're not doing that perfectly, but we want to. Um, and, and in addition, young parents, don't just seek advice from your peers or social media, okay? Um, heed what the Bible says. It says we should learn from those who have more experience, and that just makes sense. Those with more experience in life. No, there's, some, there's something in our culture, especially where we worship youth, and there's just something in our human nature for all of time, not just our culture, but every culture, there's an arrogance that comes with youth. And the Bible just wants to steer us away from that. Okay, that will harm you in the end. Okay, so, so flee the arrogance of youth and pursue those that maybe have more experience, and that will be a blessing, and that will make our church beautiful as we enact what the Bible says really makes community in the local church work well. Older, teach the younger. Younger, don't be, don't be foolishly arrogant and think, eh, what do they know, you know? Um, that's just not, that's not the way that beautiful community works, okay? 
But let me just say this, in general, when it comes to like sometimes we preach more of a, what seems like a niche sermon like this, like discipline and parenting that only lands on certain people, um, let me just ask you not to check out, well, why would that be? Because it's easy to go, well, what's in this sermon for me, right? And if it's not, not something about me, then I'm out. Like me, me, I love myself, I have my picture on my shelf. You with me? That's what we say in our home, right? When someone's getting a little... A little selfish. Me, me, I love myself. I have my picture on my shelf, right? Right, kids? But that's not, that shouldn't be our starting point when it comes to listening to sermons or church in general because Christian faith isn't just about you. Christian faith is about God and us. All of the, almost all the epistles of the New Testament were not written to one person. They were written to the church, the corporate gathering, the us of church life, Okay? So instead of what has this sermon got to do with me, maybe rather it should be what can I learn here and grow in so that I can serve those that I look around and see around me. Man, there's a, there's a young couple down there, you know, and maybe they could really learn from me because I've had four kids and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm more advanced in age than they are. How can I be a blessing to others as I receive this thing that might seem like more of a niche topic? Let me say one more. Um, some of you in this room, probably all of us in this room would say this. None of us have been perfectly disciplined as kids by our parents, right? Um, but some of us have experienced abuse. Some of us have experienced um, just raging tempers. Some of us have endured just violence in the home. And some of us have experienced the other extreme of just like complete neglect and like just figure out your life, whatever, And I don't want you to associate rage or abuse on the one hand or neglect on the other with what the Bible has in mind with what we're going to talk about today from the Proverbs and Discipline and Parenting, okay? Here's what the Bible has in mind, Ephesians 6, 4, in terms of the overarching tone of, of, of what parenting and discipline should look like. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I don't see a hint of neglect. I don't see a hint of abuse in this text. And this is the vision for godly parenting and godly discipline, okay? So those kind of intro comments aside, I want us to basically unpack two Proverbs today that speak to the discipline of children. And we're just going to focus in on some key words here. So let's have those on the screen. We're going to look at Proverbs 13, 24 that says this. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And secondly, we're going to look at Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. All right, so two words right off the bat. In the first verse... The word hate. In the second, the last word there, death. So hatred and death, hatred and death. Those are some heavy words. Those are some attention-grabbing words, okay? Poignant experience in my life is we were, um, Kim was very pregnant with our third son, Emery, and we lived in Albuquerque at the time, and we were having a routine uh, appointment with the OB. And we were... Uh, considering having what's called a VBAC. Now, 
for those of you who aren't up to speed on the finer points of obstetrics like I am, uh, a VBAC, no, I know nothing. Um, a VBAC, though, I do know this, is an acronym for a vaginal birth after cesarean section, okay? And so we were considering this because Kim had had two cesarean sections with our older two kids, and we were wondering if it would be possible um, to do a VBAC with the physician. So we're talking about this with him. And so we come in, and we're talking, and he immediately says, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. And we're like, oh, okay, like, just kind of gruff here. And uh, so, like, can we talk about this? Like, what's, what are some of the risk factors, death, for her or the child? I'm like, all right, got my attention. No VBAC it is. Like, we're going C-section, schedule that baby, okay? So that's, I mean, it was like, he, he obviously wanted to get our attention, and he did. Because he went straight for the jugular. Death is the risk factor. Now, don't, I mean, if you're in that, those shoes and you're a young mom here, like, don't listen to me. You can talk to Jake, um, our resident ob guy over here. No, sorry. Um, but don't listen to this. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. And maybe this doctor was a little extreme. But all that to say is, here's the point. He got our attention, right, when he drops the word death on us, Okay. And we're listening and we're dialed in a little more clearly. Now, I think the point here is that the Bible is kind of doing the same thing. Um, When it uses words like hatred and death, there's a lot at stake here when it comes to giving birth. And the Bible would say there's a lot at stake here in the discipline of children. Okay? So what's at stake, you might ask? Well, hatred and death. Does the Bible have our attention yet? Right? Implicitly, the Bible asked parents this morning, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a challenging question. Do you, want, do you want your kids to die? Do you want to hate your kids? That's a, that's a tough question, but that's implicitly what the Proverbs is asking us this morning. And, and the answer is, no, you've got my attention now, and I don't want them to die, and I don't want to hate them, right? And so the Bible says to us, you need to be faithful to discipline them. You see that in these verses? Let's look at a couple other words. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is what? Is diligent to discipline him. And then secondly, the word hope. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Okay? Let's look at this first one. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. What's diligent mean? It's not a word we use probably very often. I don't use that word very often, but I've learned about that word because um, my wife uses it a lot in our home. So when we moved here, we um, started a school, and my wife runs the school. It's called Karis Classical Academy, and it has um, a a regular kind of normal, like, uh, paid teacher, traditional classroom environment. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, so that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday, Thursday is a home education element. So my wife teaches our kids on Tuesdays and Thursdays at the house, and I have my office at home, so I hear them talking. And oftentimes, Kim will kick off the day with saying something like this, guys, I want us to really focus on being diligent in our work. I want us to be diligent in getting the things done that need to get done. And so what's she getting at? She's getting at Let's just not be lazy. Um, let's get after it. Let's focus on it. The, the kind of the Hebrew word here um, means something like be intent on something, to be intent on it. Okay? That's what diligence means. 
So let's flesh this out a little further. Now look at the text and see how it says, but he who loves him is diligent. See the connection between loving and being diligent? But he who loves him is, those are combined, is diligent to discipline him. So there's a connection. Love is equated with diligence in discipline. See that? He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Think about what the opposite would be. But he who hates him never disciplines him. See that? Hatred would be equated with ultimate laziness in discipline. So the Bible commends to us to flee from laziness in in the discipline of our kids and to pursue diligence, to pursue being intent on it. See that? But man, this is hard, is it not? This is hard. I got four kids. This is challenging, okay? A lot of you are in the the fire of this right now in parenting, and, and we're trying to push aside the laziness, but man, that's easier said than done. Right? Like the kid pitches, three-year-old pitches a fit at the grocery store, right? And you got a lot of groceries to buy in a limited amount of time. And this is a really hard situation. We've all been, or we've all been there. A lot of you have been there, right? And lazy parenting might be, okay, I'll give you a sucker if you stop throwing a fit, Right? But friends, listen to me. We don't negotiate with terrorists, okay? And we don't negotiate with three-year-old terrorists at the grocery store, okay? Right? Because think about what that produces. It might feel like a short-term fix, and these groceries, yes, they're important. But that's just going to produce future harm in your child because what, what are they learning here? They're learning that I can manipulate my parents through something very destructive to get what I want that isn't something that I should have, right? I shouldn't be enabled to throw fits. That's really destructive, and it's really harmful to our kids. So diligence might look like, and you can nuance this as you, as, as, as you see fit, but do, diligence might look like, okay, we're just going to leave so I can deal with this situation in private. And I love, and, and love would say that my child's growth in character is more important than groceries right now. Let me give you another one. Um, this really hits home for me. Laziness in parenting might look like just yelling, right? Yelling and just yelling and never really doing anything. Okay, so why is yelling lazy? Well, because it takes so much, such little effort, right? It doesn't demand much from us as parents. We can just sit down and watch the game on Sunday afternoon and just, if something springs up, just yell, knock that off. Well, what happens is we yell, no response, because the kids know that I'm not really ready to do anything. And then I yell louder. And I'm still not, I've still got butt on the couch, right? And then I yell louder and yell louder. And then I'm really, really amped up. But if I don't do anything, ultimately, what do they learn? They learn that dad's not a man of his word. He just threatens. Yelling isn't discipline. It's just words. And it's lazy. Like, man, I come home from preaching two services on Sunday afternoons. I love to just watch the game. And, and that's hard for me to go, my kids 
instruction, correction, and discipline is more important than my comforts and my desire to just sit here in peace and watch the game. It's so much easier to be lazy. And I can just sit there and yell. But that's not loving. And that's not diligence. That's just laziness on my part. So I have to get up and be willing to, be out of love for them, set my laziness aside. This football game is not this important as my parenting is. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him, the proverb says. Let's look at the second verse, another word. Discipline your son, for in that there is what? There's hope. For in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. So let's talk about hope and hopelessness. I know, believe me, that there can be a sense of hopelessness sometimes in parenting. Like, I think if this doesn't get steered the right way, my child may be a serial killer. Or some radical anarchist. Overthrow the government, you know, whatever. I have a poignant memory of of Kim calling me... uh, one of our children, about age three, just digging the heels in. And at this time, uh, we lived in a different city, and I had an office at the church. And my poor wife is just at wit's end. I cannot keep disciplining this child over and over today. Like, and I'm just like, I don't, what do you want me to do? Like, should I just come home? And like, but the proverb says, don't give up. Don't give up. Hopelessness looks like giving up, but there is yet hope. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. And, and, and hear me, there's no rock-solid promise, and that's not, what the, that's not how the Proverbs function. The pro- Proverbs in general are not promises, they're principles. Generally speaking, this is how the world is going to work, okay? So there's no rock-solid promise that, that faithful parenting that's just 100% like the Proverbs will, re- will, will lead to magical results in the lives of your kids. But think of the opposite. Think of the opposite here. It's also true that if you never discipline your kids, there's probably a near guarantee that their life is not going to be very fun in the end. Like, here's an example. Fit throwing looks bad in a three-year-old. It looks even worse in a 23-year-old, right? Taking a swing at mom or dad seems pretty easy to probably manage from a three-year-old. And it's all honestly just kind of silly. It's not silly at age 13, right? And stealing candy from the store like I did when I was five, you know, that's something that needs to be corrected, of course. But stealing money from work at age 45 is a much different situation. And the Bible says you want hope for your kids, like like future-oriented. You want future-oriented hope for your kids. It's not focused on right now and just the craziness of right now, but the future-oriented hope for your kids, you want that? And just be faithful, diligent to discipline them. And most likely it will produce long-term blessing in their lives. You want lack of hope for your kids and a dire outlook for them? Just neglect them when it comes to discipline. That's what the Proverbs is saying. Let's look at one other word. The rod. He who spares the rod hates his son. Now we get a little more controversial, don't we? Right? 
He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Here's the first thing I would say. I don't think the Bible gives us clear explanation on like how this actually went down in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew life, in ancient Hebrew families, okay? So how exactly was the rod used? What did it look like? What were the circumstances? What were the details? And I, and I scoured the commentaries this week to try to find some more detail, and there's really not much other than this is clearly a, dis, a, a ritual of discipline for the sake of blessing kids to learn that godly authority and submission to godly authority is a really good thing. So when we interpret the Proverbs, we want to look for the principle. What's the principle here? What's the transferable concept? Um, I don't think we can use this proverb or how the Proverbs talk about the rod and draw a straight line, one-to-one connection between the ancient Hebrew culture and our modern-day culture of spanking, okay? But what I would say is this. I think there is a connection. I don't think it's a one-to-one connection, but I think there is a connection. And we're going to come back to this in a second. But more than anything, I want you to see the principle. Okay, so what's the principle? What's the principle of the rod? We don't have distinct definition, so we have to look for the principle. And I think it's this. Effective discipline is willing to make our kids uncomfortable for the sake of teaching them that submission to godly, God-given authority is a good thing. Let me say that again. Effective discipline is willing to make our kids uncomfortable for the sake of teaching them that submission to godly, God-given authority is a good thing. Okay, so when you think about the rod, it probably wasn't super comfortable for kids being disciplined with the rod in ancient Hebrew culture. Again, the Bible says nothing about abusing them, and that's maybe our default setting for whatever reason in our culture. That's not what this is talking about. But I can promise you that it was probably uncomfortable, right? That was the point. It probably had a sting, not injury or abuse, but a sting nonetheless, okay? So, so whatever discipline you choose, what's the principle? The principle should be it has to at least bring some level of uncomfort. It needs to probably sting a bit. Never abusive, but never lazy or weak. So we impose something uncomfortable on our children for the sake of loving correction, I think that's the principle in this proverb, when the Bible talks about the rod, okay? I think there's a bit of a cultural shift, though, in my lifetime that I've seen that I think I want us to be wary of. If this, if this was a sermon being preached in the 1950s, it probably wouldn't, I wouldn't need to say these things. But I think this is just kind of how we are shifting, and I think we need to be aware. I think, in general, our culture leans away from letting our kids be purposefully uncomfortable. I think our culture leans away from letting our kids be purposefully uncomfortable. Now, if you take some weird, sadistic joy in making your kids uncomfortable all the time, I'm not talking to you, and that's another sermon for another day, and that probably demands a lot of repentance. But most of us aren't even anywhere near that, okay? So I think in general, our culture leans away from letting our kids be purposefully uncomfortable. Here's what I mean. Um, We have a hard time letting our kids embrace the fact that they're not great at everything. Like, we live in a culture that 
for, the, for a lot of people, is more wealthy than the world has ever seen, and wealth affords opportunities. So we, the kids have just tons of opportunities. And so we say, go for it. Shoot for the stars. You can be whatever you want to be. There's no way you'll ever fail. You're the best, and we don't want you to have low self-esteem. So it's just like, yes, you're the best at everything. And of course, we want to encourage our kids, right? But if we don't think about this with some level of criticism or critical thought, you know what this will produce? It already is producing it, and, and that's this. It's the poor gal who shows up at American Idol who thinks she's the next, second coming of Christina Aguilera, and she's not, and no one's ever sat her down and been like, look. And then she gets systematically just like verbally abused by Simon Cowell, and you're wondering, where was the parents that should have come alongside and said, honey, you are so gifted at a lot of things. Music is not one of them. And I love you, and I don't want you going on national TV making a fool out of yourself. Okay? There's millions of people laughing at you. Not good. Okay? I love you, so I'm going to be willing to make you, help you walk through that uncomfortable conversation. Okay? What part of letting your kids get embarrassed on, on, on national TV is loving? That's not loving. We have a hard time um, letting our kids experience losing. And, and every kid getting a trophy is, is, is good in some sense probably, but that's not the way the world works. And as we want to try to develop our kids to understand how do we engage the world with a Christian worldview, man, there's times when Christians, that like we're going to see in the book of 1 Peter, are called to lose and embrace the short-term loss. I mean, think about this. Jesus himself was the ultimate loser as he hung on the cross. That was the symbol of loser in the ancient world. And if it was just that, that's all that Christianity would be, but it's not. There's always a resurrection in view. But at times, we have to go through the cross before the crown. And if our kids have no concept of losing, I, I'm concerned that they'll have a hard time engaging the world around us. We have a hard time letting our kids experience failure. So, so at times, we just want to... The, the term, the helicopter parent, is... And I get it. I get it. Um, that's, that's a cliche in our culture for a reason, because it happens. And we micromanage our kids because we're scared to let them fail. But failure always leads to, almost always, if you have a soft heart, leads to learning. Learns to grow. Think about your own life. I mean, for my life, I've learned so much through my failures. And if I had parents ho constantly hovering over me, like never wanting to let me fail, man, I, I wouldn't grow in the ways that that I've grown in my life. Now, listen, I'm not saying this. Here's what I'm not saying. We don't get our kids on some helicopter and airdrop them in the middle of Alaska with a rope and like some supplies in a backpack and say, well, I want you to learn something, son. You know, that's not what we do. That's not what I'm saying. But again, so many of us are so far from that. It'd be okay to lean in the other direction a little bit. And then finally, like, just, I just think about, like, food wars with our kids, right? Like, my, my kid only eats mac and cheese and hot dogs. Well, what do you mean? Well, that's just what they'll eat. Well, what, what do you mean? Like, you're, you're held hostage by your kids' eating habits because you're not willing to make them uncomfortable. 
We, we had a pediatrician tell us once as we worked through the food wars in our home that all you got to do is just make them, if they won't eat what you put in front of them, do not become a short order cook, okay? And listen, your kid is structured physiologically to want to survive. They will not starve themselves. I promise you. So all you got to do is if you don't want to eat this, fine. You don't have to eat. And you do that once or twice. Like our kids, we did that at dinner time. I promise the next breakfast, mom, this is great. You know what I mean? It's surprise, surprise. Kids are thankful for food when they've skipped a, skipped a meal or two. But are we willing to make them uncomfortable? Like, I'm kind of hungry going to bed. Well, you made a choice to not eat. And breakfast is going to taste good. You know? The kids are not going to die, I promise. Okay? Are we willing to make them uncomfortable? So the principle from the Proverbs is that we have to be willing to make our kids uncomfortable in discipline. Now, does this mean that we should spank our kids? I think if you choose to spank, um, let me back up. If you choose not to spank, I think you, what you want to ask yourself is, is what's a rod-like level of uncomfortability for my kid? Yes, every kid's different, right? And there's not a one-size-fits-all fit all for all parenting, and that's just wisdom, okay? But do timeouts get the job done? Does it get to the heart of the matter? Does it help my kid understand that submission to godly, God-given authority is going to bless me? Have they learned to embrace that? And, and if timeouts get the job done or some other form, then that's probably great if it truly is getting to the heart of what the Proverbs are commending here. Um, I would just say that generally speaking, over a course of months, maybe sometimes many months, if you're not seeing any growth at all, it's probably that your, your discipline is not uncomfortable enough, okay? Um, they have not yet learned to recognize your authority as a blessing. And, and personally, you know, I'm, though I don't see a one-to-one connection between the rod and our modern culture of spanking, I think spanking is wise. I do. Um, I think it gets to the heart of the matter the quickest when it comes to discipline of kids, especially in the little years. And we were four for four when it came to spanking our kids, and we didn't all do it the same way. Different kids demand different things, different personalities, so so we have to have wisdom and discernment um, and assuming the right explanation and assuming it's not done in anger and assuming um, it's, it's explained well and we talk about the heart and you're prone to be a sinner, and so Daddy loves you too much to enable that. And so we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to spank, and then we're going to have a follow-up, and we're going to draw you near, and Daddy loves you so much. And, and, and because I love you, this is why we do this, and you're free to repent, and we challenge you to ask for forgiveness. And then we can pray together and ask the Lord for forgiveness. And so make this kind of like this, it's almost like a little sacrament, honestly, for my kids' blessing and their growth. We've seen that really bless them. So I can't unpack all of the nuances this morning uh, of what it means to, like, spank your kids effectively. But I would commend this. Um, we're here to talk to you. Um, we commend of the book, again, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Laurel and, and Justin Eccles walked through that book this summer in a summer study. God willing, maybe we can do that next summer. But they're around, too. Talk to them. Talk to, again, just talk to older folks. Um, and so we just commend that to you. I wish I could lay out all the nuances of, 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 of the rod and all of this, but we just don't have time for it this morning, okay? Let me close with this. Man, I just say, let's get on our knees and pray for our kids, okay? 
I mean, look at me now. Are we not all, and I feel this, desperate for the Holy Spirit's power in our parenting? I mean, this job is so over our heads, right? None of us are up to this task. And, and the Lord wants us to take that feeling to him. He loves it when he, when he hears us say, God, I've come to the end of myself. I've got nothing. My resources are tapped. I don't know what to do. God loves it when we come to him like that. Because what happens then? Then he gets glorified. He looks really good because he becomes the giver and we become the receiver. And the giver always gets the glory. And he gets glorified and we get satisfied because we find our proper place underneath his authority and his loving, fatherly guidance of us. And we can rest and be satisfied. And he gets glorified and we get satisfied when we come to the end of ourselves and just cry out to him. So young family, young, young mom, young dad that's just tired and not sure what to do, cry out to the Lord. He loves to hear you, right? God sees you in the struggle. He's with you in the struggle. He's for you in the struggle. He loves you in the struggle. I know, I know so many of us are so exhausted and anxious. It's very normal. I know those feelings well. And I just want you to hear this and be comforted this morning, okay? Your justification, your right standing before God is not based on your success in parenting. Isn't that good news? Your right standing before God is not found in being a perfect parent. And there's no such thing as a perfect parent, and God knows this. Your, your perfect performance in parenting or lack thereof cannot save you or save your kids. And only Jesus and his perfect performance given to us, credited to us as a gift when we come to him in repentance and faith is the only thing that can save you. It's the only thing that can save your kids. So your security as a child of God is not bound up and contingent upon your performance in parenting. So breathe and rest and one day at a time. And we're going to walk in prayer. We're going to walk with Bible open. We're going to walk in transparency and community. We're not going to bear these burdens on our own. We're, you weren't meant to, okay? And, and when we get this gospel-centered vision that my performance is not, or my, my salvation is not contingent upon my performance in parenting, that message of grace and mercy, when that really lands on you, then that frees you up to actually be the kind of parent that you want to be because you're so blown away by God's fatherly grace and mercy showered upon you. And you're so transformed by seeing the truth of his word come alive in your life. But then that naturally spills over into your parenting. Is it perfect? Never. Is it faithful? Yes. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you and we love you and we just cast ourselves before you knowing that we need you. So Lord, would you help us? Would you help us? Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of church that would um, raise kids well. Lord, I pray that we would not be... Um, 
hypocritical, pharisaical, judgmental of one another? Would there be an environment of grace for one another? Lord, I pray more than anything that we would um, trust you in the midst of chaos that sometimes swirls, that we would take our burdens to you and to one another because you say you love to have us cast our anxieties on you. You are a good father of us, and may we reflect you and your fruit that comes from your spirit as we parent. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.